Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. My guest is Alice Kerrith, Public Relations Coordinator for Spaceport America. And Alice, welcome to the program. Happy to do so. Let's talk about, first of all, just kind of a brief history of Spaceport America. Spaceport America actually started in 2006. It's actually got a very long history. Um, It's the world's first purpose-built commercial spaceport. Um, They decided back in the 1990s when aerospace became available to private companies that New Mexico would invest in this idea of commercial space. And the reason for that is because New Mexico has been doing it for a very long time. Uh, Robert Goddard started launching rockets from New Mexico in the 1930s. Uh, White Sands Missile Range, which was called White Sands Proving Ground at that point, started launching V2 rockets for the US government. Uh, NASA's had a presence in New Mexico since the 1960s. We have multiple national labs, Sandia, Los Alamos, um, the Air Force Research Lab over here as well. So it just made sense for them to really look into getting on, in on the early days of this commercial airspace uh, industry. And in September of 2006, they hosted the first rocket launch. Um, And last year, New Mexico became the third state to host human space flight. So what does it mean to be a purpose-built spaceport? A lot of the other spaceports around the country, and there are 13 that are FAA licensed at this point, um, are conversions of Uh, local county and city municipality airports and former Air Force bases. So this one was designed from the ground up to be purposely for commercial aerospace. So we designed our runway to be able to deal with our anchor tenants, Virgin Galactic. So it's a 200 foot width runway to be able to deal with their White Knight 2 airplane. Uh, We have a purpose-built terminal building for Virgin Galactic, and we have purpose-built areas for vertical launches and down in our advanced technology area, uh, Spin Launch has their uh, Accelerator 33, which is going to be the largest, the world's largest suborbital vacuum chamber that is able to send rockets to space using kinetic energy. And we'll talk about that here a little bit later in the podcast. And we do have one of those commercial spaceports here just outside Jacksonville, Cecil Spaceport, which was converted Navy Master Jet Base, which was closed by BRAC. So we're pretty familiar with that process, uh, at least here here in my hometown. <laughs> you mentioned Virgin Galactic. They're probably your best known tenant. How important is having them as a tenant, even though they're not yet flying paying customers? When Richard Branson, the former, uh, the current CEO of, of Virgin Galactic, met with the former governor of New Mexico, a man named Bill Richardson, um, Bill Richardson had already talked about having a spaceport, but he needed for the legislators to, to invest in it by having an anchor tenant. So I believe the agreement went along the lines of, if you build me a spaceport, I'll build you a space plane or something along the vice versa. So it's very important for us that we had an anchor tenant that was pursuing aerospace that we could have as our permanent person here at Spaceport America. You know, when the the spaceport was built, it was always going to be a multi-use complex, a bit like going to an airport. You don't often find an airport around the country or around the world even that has just one airline that operates from it. 
Um, so it's important for us that we have an anchor tenant and they are very well known and very well respected around the country. But we also have five other permanent tenants at Spaceport America. Uh, Spin Launch is our second largest employer at Spaceport. Air Environment, which is the largest supplier of unmanned aerial vehicles, has three vehicles at Spaceport America, which includes the HAPS Mobile project, which they are working on with SoftBank. Um, Up Aerospace have been launching with us since 2006. And our sixth uh, tenant, we're not releasing the name of just yet until they're ready to start going public. With AeroVironment being there, and I know they're big in the drone community, are you involved in the VBLOS research and licensing process that's going on with the FAA with, with AeroVironment? So we are able to get them into restricted airspace where they can test and perform without having to worry about a lot of the FAA licensing issues. That's one of the main selling points of Spaceport America. So we actually fall under White Sands Missile Range controlled airspace, which is about 6,000 square miles of controlled airspace. And to give people an idea of just how large that is, that's about the whole size of the state of Delaware above us that's controlled by the Department of Defense from the ground all the way up to infinity. So we don't ever have to worry about passenger planes and we're in a very low population area. So we're able to, to host UAVs in a very safe environment that doesn't require a lot of the FAA regulations to be adhered to. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably much, pretty much why Air Environment is attracted to us and why we're attracting other uh, pseudo-satellite companies that are going to be operating out at Spaceport America. And I, I, I apologize for delving into jargon from oh, my aviation days, BVLOS is beyond visual line of sight for those who might not be aware uh, what, what that particular acronym is. Um, you recently attended the Space Tourism Conference in Los Angeles. Is there a bigger role for Spaceport America in the space tourism industry than just being the home of Virgin Galactic? Yes and no. Um, we are more than the home of Virgin Galactic. Obviously, they are the most important when it comes to human spaceflight. They made New Mexico the third state to be hosting human spaceflight. Um, but people are attracted to space tourism beyond watching humans going up. They like to watch rocketry. Uh, they like to see the advanced technology that we're seeing out of spin launch and the, the pseudo satellites that um, unmanned aerial vehicles are launching from Spaceport America as well. So yes, we do have a, a role in this. Um, but what I was really doing at the Space Tourism Conference is to talk about how we can attract more of the experience before people come out to Spaceport America. I touched on it before that New Mexico is home to a lot of space history. We have an incredible space history museum. We are home to the International Space Hall of Fame. Um, we can go and visit Trinity site where the first nuclear weapon was uh, tested. Uh, there are great areas outside where people were testing astronaut suits before lunar landings. In fact, I think they tested all NASA astronauts from Apollo 14 onwards down at uh, Kilburn Hole, which is just outside of Las Cruces, New Mexico. But what this area hasn't really developed is this whole idea of experiencing the space industry for tourism. So I'm hoping that we can start engaging the idea of people coming to this region because we sit equidistant between um, Spaceport America and Van Horn, Texas, which is where Blue Origin operates from. This is really the new hub of commercial space tourism in this region. And I'm hoping we can start attracting some new ideas to the area to really develop this idea of space tourism and broaden it across the entire experience, not just seeing the launch at the final thing at Spaceport America. What are some of the things that come across your desk as far as, you know, we think this would be a good thing for Spaceport America? 
Oh, we've had some really great ideas. Um, I mean, we are primarily a suborbital launch system, although we are orbital uh, a license. And the reason for that is that we are in a landlocked spaceport. Um, so it's not technically safe at the moment to be able to do orbital launches when you need a two stage to get to orbit. Um, so we've had some great ideas for one stage launches to orbit, which I'm hoping will see eventually happen in the future. Um, but we also attract non-aerospace, uh, which we find really fascinating. In fact, in March of this year, we just had the world's fastest blind driver break the Guinness Book of Records attempt on our runway. He got to 211 miles per hour in a very um, well-designed vehicle that was designed specifically for him to be his eyes on the road. Uh, we've had commercials out there. Um, we've had movies out there. Um, and we've had DVD releases. We've hosted rally racing. We've hosted uh, relay racing as well. So we kind of attract some really interesting ideas beyond the aerospace for this idea of, of events as well at the spaceport. When we've talked with John Weathersby, and we've talked with John a couple of times with the uh, Space Tourism Society, and he talks often about um, the, the terrestrial experience for space tourism to be able to go to a place like and because it's close to me i know about it the uh kennedy space center visitors center where they have some very interesting things and are planning some new stuff to be uh, launched later this year but it's also about the the environments to be able to go out and maybe have a some kind of a simulated martian environment in the desert and things of that nature as well as you know luxury hotels and and the training is a big part of it as well so there are a lot of things and and I guess you've got a lot of room out there to work with. <laughs> we certainly do. We, I mean, the spaceport itself covers 18,000 acres, but we are an hour away from our nearest large town, about 45 minutes away from the nearest small town. And there is lots of space that can be developed in between. And as I mentioned, uh, 150 miles by the crow flies between Spaceport America and Blue Origin site, there are just two major cities, Las Cruces, New Mexico and El Paso, Texas. And neither of them have really thought about where we're going to go with this space tourism experience, this terrestrial experience that people want to go and see and be part of. So I'm really excited to see what companies we can attract to this region, thanks to Blue Origin being here, thanks to Virgin Galactic being here, and the other aerospace companies that are starting to look to New Mexico as a really great opportunity for them to test and do development and research. Do you see the horizontal launch scenario becoming increasingly more popular as far as not only uh, space tourism is concerned, but also, you know, Virgin, when you talk about Virgin, you have to talk about Virgin Orbit as well. Um, and they're doing horizontal launch for satellites. A lot of companies are doing that. Is that is that something you see that's going to be more and more used by people that want to get into space inexpensively? I think so. And I think you just hit the nail on the head with the end of that question. It's about how inexpensive it is as an option. You know, when you look at most space vehicles, majority of that vehicle is made up of fuel. Um, and we're looking at companies that are thinking outside of the box on how we can reduce that fuel consumption and need uh, and how we can do this effectively. So it's, it's far cheaper and we'll have a far higher cadence. Um, and yes, I do think we will see more of an increase in this idea of traditional plane style launches. Um, and we have hosted Virgin Orbit 747 um, Cosmic Girl at Spaceport mm -hmm. America as well. She came in for a tour with uh, Space Force when they were here and visiting us. I can see that being more of an option, and I think it's a safer option as well for inland spaceports than the traditional 
um, vertical ro rocket launches. Let's talk about some of those other tenets that people might not know as well as Virgin Galactic. You've kind of mentioned them by name and and given us kind of the 30,000 foot view, but what more can you tell us about some of the other companies that are doing business there? Well, I mentioned we have Spin Launch down at our advanced technology area and they have constructed the world's largest evacuated centrifuge. So they're looking at how they can launch objects to space at far higher cadence using kinetic energy. Um, until October of last year, no one really knew what they were doing, but they managed to construct their whole facility from the ground up in two and a half years, which I think is an incredible achievement throughout COVID particularly. And it, it's interesting. Let me stop you right there. because yeah. I, I first became aware of Spin Launch through their uh, online advertising on Facebook and suddenly popped up in my news feed. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting and started to research them a little bit. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought no. that was a that was an interesting way for them to get the word out about what it is they're doing. They've been very quiet. And I, I think I appreciate that um, approach to it because there were a lot of naysayers that their idea was beyond what actually happen and we had people visit from various national labs who came and spoke to them and they said oh, what you're trying to do can't be achieved we tried to do that once and we didn't manage to make it and they were like yep you tried to do it once what happened after that they were like well the funding didn't happen because we failed and they're like yeah well we've gone back to your original designs and we figured out where you failed and we're trying to figure out how to make it work and they've proved those naysayers wrong. I think they've hosted seven or eight different test fires thus far this year, and all of them have been very successful. They're slowly building up their cadence. They're slowly showing off their technology, and we can see new customers being attracted to them that I don't think they even realized that we're going to be interested in using their system, but they're looking at things like hypersonics. There aren't many places now that are doing a modern style hypersonic testing facility that their evacuated centrifuge lends itself to automatically. Eventually, that's going to be able to build up to Mach 5 release. So that's an incredible thing to be able to do from a system in New Mexico, where we're right next to a, a Department of Defense missile range where they can launch into their airspace. So that's going to be an interesting concept. And they very recently signed with NASA's Flight Opportunities Program. So they're going to be doing some launches for suborbital sub launches with NASA from our facility as well. Um, and they kind of learned a little bit about that because we have another customer at Spaceport America that's been launching with us since 2006, who does a lot of work with the NASA Flight Opportunities Program. And that's up aerospace. They're a traditional rocket launch company that have currently hold the highest apogee record at Spaceport America at 77 and a quarter miles. Um, so they primarily work with NASA, uh, but they also have Celestis, who's um, send ashes to space, which is quite a big program that's building up uh, momentum. Um, and they launch with us around a cadence of once a year at Spaceport America. So I think they've hosted about 15 or 16 launches with us since 2006. Um, and then we have our environment. They currently have three vehicles with us. Um, two of them are the smaller unmanned aerial vehicles that people are probably more familiar with seeing on their, their news channels right now. Um, but the HAPS Mobile project that they're working on with SoftBank is something really interesting. It's a 262-foot wingspan unmanned aerial vehicle that's completely powered by solar energy. Yeah. Uh, and it flies around 80,000 feet is the aim that eventually it will get up to. And it creates a cell tower signal in the sky. Um, so it'll probably be competing with the lights of Starlink. Um, but the big... Um, promise for HAPS Mobile compared to Starlink is if there's any issues with that connection, they can bring down the plane and send a new one up very quickly without there being any issues and without the space junk issue that we seem mm -hmm. to be worrying more, more about, rightfully so. 
Um, so I can really see that one being an interesting one for people to get to know and, and learn more about, that we are thinking of green energy solutions to what we're already looking at with satellites in space right now. I'm talking with Alice Kareth, Public Relations Coordinator for Spaceport America. Take a moment right now and click on subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the other videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Let's talk about you for just a minute, Alice. How did you get involved in the commercial space industry? Purely by accident. Um, so I started off my career in um, commercial television. I worked in news for a long time and I met my husband in the Middle East when we were both working over there. Um, and we had our daughter in the Middle East and I couldn't go back to work really working as a newsroom producer because the hours just didn't lend itself to being practical for being a mother. Um, so my husband took a position at White Sands Missile Range and moved us to New Mexico. And I honestly couldn't think of how I was going to keep myself entertained living in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I started to learn about the story of the space industry here and nobody else was telling it. Um, and I got persuaded by a friend of mine to get involved in something called the Last Cruises Space Festival, which is all about celebrating the history of space here and making it accessible, particularly to young students so that they get engaged in it in a younger age. Um, and from running that, I was asked to go and apply for a position at, at Spaceport America, and I've been here for the last two years. Well, congratulations. That's, that's a, a bit of a circuitous route, but um, everybody's got an interesting story to tell, and I love hearing them. So what is the Spaceport America relationship with the state of New Mexico? So we're actually owned by the state of New Mexico. Okay. So I've got a very English accent. Um, I'm actually a state employee. Uh, the New Mexico Spaceport Authority was set up in 2006 with the um, plan to create a spaceport for the state of New Mexico that operates the, um, the spaceport um, general day to day. So there are 22 of us that are employed by the state of New Mexico that runs the spaceport. Um, and then we employ contractors for our security team, fire and EMT support that we have out at the spaceport um, to add to our team members. We are funded by the state of New Mexico. I think we're currently funded 60% by our customers and 40% from the state of New Mexico. And we're hoping eventually that we will be completely self-funded, but that's a few years off um, in the future. Um, and the state of New Mexico put a huge investment into this. You know, we mm -hmm. put $220 million into building the current runway and the gateway to space building that Virgin Galactic leases from us on a long-term basis. But we own that building. We're very proud of it and we maintain it. And we pretty much look after it as a city in the desert, as you'd expect. So it's a big investment by the state. But knowing the history of how much they've been involved in, in space and how much they've been the pioneering state to push the space industry, it just makes sense that they got in at that ground level to put out the world's first purpose-built commercial spaceport. You mentioned being in the middle of nowhere, and most launch facilities are located in coastal regions. I mean, you think about the Kennedy Space Center, um, uh, Elon Musk is down in Boca Chica, right on the, the Gulf Coast. You're not. You're uh, very, very landlocked. So talk a little bit, if you would, about kind of the benefits and drawbacks of that kind of a remote location. Now, I think I kind of touched a little bit on that before about us being a pr primarily suborbital launch system area. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't do orbital in the future, but the technology just isn't safe enough yet so that we can land first stages in populated areas. But what we do have is that access to that 6,000 square miles of restricted airspace so we can attract different kinds of vehicles. You know, all the spaceports around the country have various strengths and weaknesses. Our weakness is that we currently can't do orbital launches, but our strength is that we can 
launch suborbitally on a regular cadence for our area without having to worry about any passenger planes. No commercial airlines are allowed to fly over where we are. Um, whereas if you are doing a launch in the Cape, you have to rearrange all the flights, the paths around that area. I think it's around a four hour window around launches at a cost of about $1,000 per minute per vehicle. We don't have that kind of cost. So it does make us more affordable for suborbital launching. Um, and we, because we are in the middle of nowhere in a landlocked area, we can do quite private testing at the spaceport, mm. which is also another big appeal for such a, um, a you know, a, an industry that likes to keep themselves to themselves until they're ready to start broadcasting what it is that they're up to. Do you feel like that the use of reusable boosters in particular, like SpaceX is doing, and I just saw that um, uh, Rocket Lab almost caught and recovered um, oh almost caught and recovered one of their boosters. Is that going to make it easier for a place like Spaceport America to do those kinds of orbital launches when you don't have to worry about the booster crashing back to Earth? Absolutely. I think we've looked at the trajectories and at the moment you'd be landing somewhere near Amarillo, Texas, which I'm not sure our wonderful neighbors are going to really appreciate us doing. If we're able to control that first stage and land it safely away from populated areas, just in case there was an issue, then absolutely it's going to open up a whole new market for the spaceport that we are hoping we can attract in the future. And we're certainly looking and we're ready for it. Um, but yeah, I do think that the developments of SpaceX and Rocket Lab and others um, is going to make a huge difference to the industry and it's going to allow these landlocked spaceports like Spaceport America more access to the bigger customers uh, and prove that we are in the right place at the right time and a good viable option for their launch facilities. And obviously Blue Origin is, is launching suborbital flights using a big booster from, uh, from a landlocked area in Texas not too far from you. So that, that probably bodes well. How involved is the FAA in that? Um, uh, when you talk about, you mentioned having to reroute all the air traffic and such, which you don't have that as an issue, but is there a, is it a is it a big reach to go from what it is that you're doing now with horizontal launch to vertical launch and orbital launch with the FAA? We do vertical launches at Spaceport America. They're just mm -hmm. suborbitals. They go up and come right. straight back down again and tend to land over in the White Sands Missile Range land space. Um, so we have that license already set up, and the FAA are very much our partners in in safety. They are um self-proclaimed safety nerds and i appreciate that about them and we work very closely with them when it comes to all of the events that we host at spaceport america to make sure those are safe and i know that's a difficult one for a lot of the public to kind of wrap their heads around but we can't always have people being too close to the spaceport because of the different fuels that i have on various vehicles um, and we work very closely with the faa to make sure that we are constantly um putting safety first because that's the most important thing one of the things that you like to offer is, is STEM outreach, um, science, technology, engineering, and math. And that includes something called the Spaceport America Cup. And I told you a little earlier, I'm, I'm an old sailor, so anything that says America's Cup, I want to be interested in. So tell me about the Spaceport America Cup. The Spaceport America Cup is actually the world's largest intercollegiate rocket engineering competition. How to say that out loud. And we work closely <laughs> with a group called the Experimental Sounding Rocket Association. Um, they attract teams from across the globe. It's around 130 that are signed up for 2022. Um, so 22 different countries represented at university level. And they are 
the best of the best of the best. They come out to New Mexico, uh, they show their rockets to the judges, they show them the safety standards that they're adhering to. It's all worked on with Tripoli as well, which is another great amateur rocket group. Uh, and then they come to Spaceport America and they launch over a three day period. And it's not necessarily about who gets the highest rocket, it's about how accurate their trajectories are going to be. Mm. How high do they think that it's going to reach with that amount of fuel on? Where do they think it's going to land? How well the parachutes perform? How safe it is? And at the end of it, there is a winner of the, the Spaceport America Cup. So it's something we've done since 2017 at Spaceport America. It ran for 10 years before that in Utah. And we're really proud of it being here in the state of New Mexico. Um, it's been sponsored this year by Sierra Space as the main headline sponsor. Blue Origin are involved, Virgin Galactic, Raytheon, Honeywell. And they really use it as a great recruitment opportunity for these companies. It's the only time in the whole chance of you doing any recruitment where you get to see students go from design to presentation to launch and recovery in a very short period of time and see how well they work in their team environment. So it's definitely a really great event and it's certainly our flagship STEM event, but we work on STEM throughout the year. It's really important for us. We, you know, we are in a, a small population state. We've only got 2 million people here in the state of New Mexico. We need to make sure we continue to get a good pipeline through education into careers in aerospace. And we're very proud that this year we've actually got four local universities involved in the Spaceport America Cup. So uh, NMSU, UNM, um, New Mexico Tech and UTEP in El Paso are all competing mm. for the first time. So we created a small uh, competition between those local teams to really prove how we've got world-class engineers coming out through education in the New Mexico and borderland region. Talk about the advanced technology area there at Spaceport America. So the advanced technology area is our real southern point which is very remote in the, in the whole area of our spaceport. We're kind of a long, elongated shape across our 18,000 acres. And that's where Spin Launch is built. So they have leased land from us. They have a bunker out there. They've built their evacuated centrifuge out there. Um, and it's purposely designed so that it's away from that horizontal and vertical launch area. So they're able to test in their own airspace. They have landing points that are both on our land and eventually into White Sands missile range. So that when they get to the cadence and the height and trajectory that they expect to reach, they'll be la launching from Spaceport America and recovering over at White Sands missile range. You mentioned that you can't really have people like crawling around the place. <laughs> and yet you also talk about on your website, there are, there are things that, that you have going on there. You have concerts and you talk about weddings and things of that nature. So what's the process if someone wanted to visit Spaceport America? We do have a tour company that provides tours and they liaise with us and make sure that they're able to come out at times when it's not going to be a problem with our launch customers. Um, but there is also times when they get sneak peeks at some of our launch customers. The tour company were out in January and we didn't publicly let anyone know that the Thunderbirds were training at Spaceport America <laughs> for two and a half weeks. So those on the tour had a front row seat of a Thunderbirds air show that they never would get that kind of interactive experience before. And I think some of them even got to meet the pilots after they finished training. Um, so we are open to the public. Um, it's all run through, like I could say, a, a separate tour company. And the people want to go and look at what they can get to see at Spaceport America. It's on our website, spaceportamerica.com forward slash visit. Um, and I also allow STEM tours at Spaceport America Monday through Friday for New Mexico schools as well. 
So we often host students from our local area to come out and see what's going on at Spaceport and get to meet some of the team that's working on or things that are going on. And again, we know a couple of weeks in advance when those tours are coming and I make sure that it's around the time when we don't have customers interfering with what they can see. What's the experience going to be like when Virgin Galactic does begin flying paying customers? Is anything like the first flight that they hosted with a crew? It'll be quite an amazing experience. So, so Richard Branson flew up with his three colleagues and two mm-hmm. pilots in July of last year. It was an incredible party. We had Khalid doing a music concert just on the side of the runway. Um, there were people there celebrating for many hours and excited about it all. And I do think eventually it will become a norm and it won't be quite as, as uh, public as what that launch was. But I can see it being something that people come out and see. You know, again, unlike what Florida has to contend with, we have pretty consistent weather all year round at Spaceport America. So when Virgin builds up their cadence of launches, it's going to be pretty accurate when they're going to launch. And, and people will then know if they come and travel in for a Thursday flight at 10 a.m., there's a pretty good chance that it's going to be Thursday at 10 a.m. because we don't have the issues with hurricanes in our area or other things to worry about, like planes flying overhead. So <laughs> I can see it being a really popular place for people to come and watch space flights from uh, where we are in New Mexico. The artist renderings that I've seen, obviously I've not been to Spaceport America, but it looks like it's a, it, it looks like the customer experience is going to be pretty elaborate for those who are actually taking part in those, in those space flights. Is that kind of the impression that, that am I accurate in that description? I absolutely believe so. So I don't work for Virgin Galactic. I do want to make sure I have sure, that sure. out there. Um, but I have been into the Virgin Galactic uh, building where they've created an incredible experience. They really thought it through. So you've, the lower level is the Gaia Lounge. It's a relaxed area. It's got very earthy tones and the whole design of it is supposed to be that you're connected to the planet and, and everything you're going on around you. The middle level, which is where their mission control is, is Cirrus. So it's about the clouds, it's about being in the sky. And then where their astronaut training lounge is on that third level, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a full simulated astronaut experience. You get fitted into your seat, you get your own flight suit for that time. Um, they've really had a, um, a real thought process into the, the experience for those astronauts. And I know Virgin Galactic are very passionate about this idea of the overview effect. Um, and they want to make sure that that that's added to as much as possible. They want those astronauts to come back down, reconnected to the Earth and wanting to do something more from it. So I know that they're developing a whole program about after the flight as well, so that they continue to be connected to each other and be able to continue to share the story of the overview effect and how that really has brought their perspective into view. We are just about out of time, but I want you to take just a moment and kind of gaze into your crystal ball down 10 to 15 years down the road and tell us what you see coming in space commerce. Oh, a lot. You know, if you told me 15 years ago that I was going to be working for a spaceport in New Mexico, I probably would have laughed at you. But now that look at this industry now, and even the last two years that I've been involved in Spaceport America, there are vehicles coming in that were beyond most people's imagination. So in the next 10, 15 years, I can see not only space tourism being more affordable for the average person, so it's going to be something obtainable to you and I. Um, I can see the development of hypersonic corridors. I can see flights taking off from a spaceport in New Mexico and landing in a spaceport in China or Japan, which is exactly what Elon Musk is pushing for. 
And that's certainly why spaceports across the globe are working together to know that we're going to be able to create a network of point to point um, areas that people can transport themselves to and from. Uh, and I can see the benefits of that beyond human flight from such a quick period of time. But imagine there's an organ donation needed in an area across the other side of the globe and someone is able to donate that organ an hour and a half away and we're able to do point to point where we can get it there very quickly. That's just going to open up a whole new way of us being able to live our lives here on Earth. And I think that's what's really exciting about being involved in the aerospace industry right now. We're on the cusp of something that's really going to be transformative for future generations. Alice, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me on the Xterra podcast today. Alice Carath is Public Relations Coordinator for Spaceport America, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.